This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. When Killer Stick, I wasn't sure if he was surprised it was coming, but he had a chance to roll the off a stick. Sometimes, normally, he probably gets that puts it in. We got our luck, and we didn't capitalize. So, you know, it just probably should have got to that point, though. <laughs> just made a colossal error to do so on the third roll. When you do that against a good team, they make you pay. And then when we had our chance, we didn't make them pay. And hence, we get nothing out of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's pretty accurate when you talk about the game yesterday afternoon in Minnesota. You know, it's funny. We talked about Andre Vasilevsky in pregame about getting his 200th career regular season win the game before against Seattle. And it is power lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli with you along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick producing. Hope your weekend went well. Franz Jean will join us in about a half hour, the goaltending coach for Tampa Bay. We'll talk to him about Andre Vasilevsky and so much more around the league when it comes to goaltenders. But, Dave, it was interesting, you know, at least I did. I, I think it was worthy talking about Vasi and, and what he achieved individually over the weekend, getting his 200th career regular season win and how impressive it was, second youngest to do that in the yeah. NHL. I guess we really have two games to Yeah, I guess. Recap. You know, we, we can recap a little Our bit. last which, show was before the Seattle game. That's right. In fact, um, before Thanksgiving, really, we had the show segment on Friday. It was. It was. So we didn't get a chance to maybe talk about Yanni, you know, coming back and what that was like. And, of course, Rick being in, you know, acknowledged by the, the crowd, which was awesome. But it was funny because, you know, we, we spent all this time talking about Vassy and how great he's been, and rightfully so. And outside of maybe the, the Rask goal, the other goals Minnesota scored, excluding the, the empty netter, they were perfect shots. The beat Vasilevsky, and in many ways, I think that's kind of appropriate to talk about Vasi and a how good he's been, and really, what does it take to beat a goaltender like that? Two perfect shots, Hartman and, and Bukestad getting goals to beat Vasi in that game against Minnesota. Obviously, there are some other things that we can get into about why you know they they lost that game, but you know some of it was just. A couple of really good shots by players who uh, beat Vassy, and you know sometimes you just have to do a little uh, a stick tap, Dave, and say, okay, that was that's what it takes to beat the best goaltender in the world, and and it happened at least on those two goals. I would even throw in the Rask goal. I mean, Rask goal didn't need to be as much of a perfect shot, but that was a pretty good shot to the yeah. top of the net. And if it's not a perfect shot, maybe Vasilevsky does stop it. The other two, there was very little net to shoot at. Certainly the Bukestad goal and even the Hartman goal. When I first saw it, I'm like, ah, he was open. He whipped that thing. And then you see the replay. I mean, he put that between the crossbar and the far post. And Vasilevsky had had taken up a lot of the rest of the net. Yeah. So those were really two perfect shots that needed to be perfect to go in. The Ras goal maybe didn't need to be quite as perfect, but it was... It was a pretty good shot. <laughs> like, I don't know that Vasilevsky could have stopped that. But had it not been in that spot, maybe he would have found a way to pull a rabbit out of his hat. So, yes, tip your cap to, to the Minnesota shooters on those three goals. But I will, I will come at this from a different perspective, Greg. And that is looking at it this way. For Vasilevsky, and I'll exclude the Elliott start against Minnesota, at Amelie Arena. But for Vasilevsky, certainly in the last two starts for him, which were both shutout wins over the Flyers, 
last Tuesday and then against Seattle on Friday. This was a way tougher game. Way tougher. And the reason it was way tougher is the Lightning gave up many more dangerous looks than they had in those two previous games. So Vasilevsky earns what he gets. Like when he gets a shutout, he earns that shutout because he stops every shot that comes his way. But the team in front of him does have a role to play, and some shutouts are complete steals, and some shutouts are more like routine-type games where he's throwing in a really good save here and there. And I think the wins over the Flyers and the Kraken for Vasilevsky were more in that category. I know he had 34 saves against the Flyers, but as we detailed after that game, not a ton of of like tremendously dangerous chances for the Flyers. The Kraken only had 17 shots. And they were they were forced to defend much of the game, which is its own challenge for a goalie, as we've talked about. We talked about it with Kevin Woodley last week. Like Vasilevsky needs to stay sharp even when he's not seeing a lot of pucks. This Minnesota game was was nothing like those games. Because the Wild had numerous chances in prime scoring areas. So even though this was a game where Vasilevsky took the loss and allowed three goals, in some ways, his performance was even more impressive than what we saw in the two shutouts. You almost gave him a start. Because he was dealing. I almost gave him a start. The fact that he gave up the third, had it gone to overtime 2-2, no matter the result, he would have gotten a start for me. The 16 saves he made in the second period, that was... That was hard work. That was lugging a heavy backpack up a steep hill. (laughs) I mean, like, he was dealing with screenshots. They were were getting their shots on net Minnesota. Chances in the slot. The play where Bogosian got his third and final penalty, the one that was kind of questionable because Foligno gave him a shove. That was lame. Bogosian went into the net. Yeah, that was lame. They called him for delay of game. But right before that, there were like two, three shots in a row right in the slot, the low slot hash marks, top of the crease. In fact, on on one of those sequences, Sergachev tries to clear the puck away up the middle. He's right in front of Vasilevsky, and it hits something. It comes right to Marcus Felino, and he gets a point-blank shot. And Vasilevsky stopped that, and then Felino pushed Bogosian, and the net came off. Yeah. But that's the sort of stuff that Vasilevsky was dealing with, especially in the second period, but also at points in the first and the third. So this was this was a game that featured hard minutes for Vasilevsky. And I kind of come out of it, and I'm circling back to what you began the show with, the fact that the only shots that beat him were basically perfect shots tells you how good he was in that game yesterday. But unfortunately, Vasilevsky does not play in a vacuum because the team in front of him did not have as good of a game defensively as we have seen from them in many of the recent games during the last several weeks, maybe with the notable exception of that Devils game. And that was what Coop talked about afterward. I mean, he mentioned the, the one colossal mistake on the third goal, but there were mistakes made on the other two goals as well, along with mistakes made on plays that did not lead to Minnesota goals because of Vasilevsky. However, the Wild were not perfect defensively either. The Lightning didn't have as many shots, and probably at the end of the day, maybe they didn't have as many scoring chances, but they had 
certainly enough looks to score more than two. Talbot, I thought, was really sharp. And, in fact, the two shots that beat him were also perfect shots. Yeah, the one he didn't even see. I mean, the and Perry really shot, shot is shot in the too. top of the net. Great yeah. shot. And Kalorn shot through a screen, top of the net. He didn't even see it. Yeah. But it was still a perfect shot because he was in position. So if Kalorn's shot is maybe six inches lower, it hits Talbot in the glove or the arm maybe. So he got it into the top of the net. But the Lightning also had a lot of near misses where guys missed the net or like the Kalorn play in the sixth attacker where it skipped over his stick. They had scramble plays in front where the puck was there and they couldn't quite get their stick on it. So that's why I think at the end of the day it was a fairly close game it was close in terms of the score, but in terms of like flow of play, it was it was a close game. Both teams had their looks, and I think the way Coop put it at the end of the day in the post game was accurate, which is they just kind of made one more play than we did, and we couldn't make them pay when they made a mistake. Yeah, and I think I think part <laughs> to of the that tune too, of one one goal less. Yes, and I think where I looked at that. And I agree with you, the the Lightning. I mean, look, if you were to say, Dave, it's 2-2 heading into the third period with some of the significant injuries Tampa Bay's dealing with in a place where they haven't had a ton of success, I, I think we both would have taken that. Said, okay, you, you've got a shot here to pick up some points in Minnesota, 2-2 going into the third. And look, Hartman's goal, it's a beautiful goal. It's unfortunate, Dave, and something we can get into a little bit here, that he stayed in the game. And Matthew Joseph, the guy he collided into, yeah. was injured, we're assuming, obviously, and had to leave. He only played 5-15, and I think Kaloran talked about this in the postgame. It's tough. It put some pressure on guys, yeah, particularly although on the Coop PK. Yeah, said that, that he did not – Coop said he didn't return, though, because of a, another problem. It, he okay. said that it wasn't due to the hit, which okay. was news to me. I figured it was. Yeah, well, whatever. He didn't come back. You know, after that hit, and he's been a guy. He didn't come been back. A, he's yeah. been a very solid contributor to this team, and other guys had to pick up the slack. So, I mean, however you want to weigh that in terms of the outcome of the game, that's fine. But it, it took, again, as we said, uh, an unbelievable shot by Hartman, who's having a very good year, by the way, to beat Andre Vasilevsky. Yeah, Twelve goals. I, yeah, and you're right. There were some missed chances. I, I would look at it and say, you know, probably in a game like this, your power play needs to come through a little bit, and mm-hmm. it didn't for the Lightning, particularly the one, Dave. Uh, we can talk about the one uh, at thirteen thirty three of the third, but I, I felt like the the Dumba high stick late in the s- second. And while I know it's sometimes hard to gain momentum when the power play is broken up in between periods, you are dealing with a fresh sheet of ice, and perhaps there is an opportunity there for you to to really make some, or at least create some momentum if you don't score off the power play. And the Lightning, unfortunately for them, didn't uh, didn't do that. And while they did have a little bit of pushback, Dave, I, I don't know. I, 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 And Chief brought this up. I, I tend to agree a bit with his analysis from the standpoint. I don't know if they tested Talbot as much as they could have or should have. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean they didn't have some looks. They clearly did, as you mentioned. Ryan McDonough, the one comes to mind where he just missed the net on a, on a slapper when he was pinching in. That would have been pretty interesting to see if he was able to get that on net. I just I felt like Talbot, who has been playing better recently wasn't let, let's put it this way he certainly didn't have to make the saves or did not have as much heavy lifting as Vassy did on the other side it would Agreed. have been interesting it would have been interesting to see if the lighting could make him a little bit more uncomfortable in net 
But again, that might be a product of Minnesota and how they defended at times compared to you know what the Lightning did. So I felt like there could have been a little bit more of a pushback from the Lightning, testing Talbot a bit more. I thought their power play had some opportunities at key moments in this game perhaps to gain some momentum or at least tie the game or go ahead, You know, especially in that third period. It didn't happen. And understanding the Lightning were playing shorthanded at the forward position, you know, might have yeah. been a, a little bit of a little bit of a problem there for them too. Well, the power play was interesting. So the power play had three chances, oh for three, and a goal on any one of them would have been huge. So they couldn't cash in there. And then they had a little under three minutes worth of six on five time because Felino's goal came right. in the last seventeen seconds. I think they pulled the goalie with just over three minutes left in the third and they didn't score in the six on five so you might say all right well they didn't do well but uh, i'm not going to go that far i don't know that they didn't do well i mean Kalorn talked about it post game he said i thought we actually did okay in the power play and the six on five and they did from the standpoint like they had a lot of possession. This wasn't like that Carolina game, remember that one, where they couldn't do anything on the power play. Now, Carolina is a tremendous penalty kill, but I use that game as an example of what it really means to say your power play didn't do anything for you. They had a lot of zone time. They moved the puck around. They had six shots on the power play, and that does not include the attempts that they had on the six-on-five, and I don't have those numbers in front of me. But from a standpoint of managing the puck, when Minnesota got clears, talking about the the penalty kill for the Wild, the Lightning were fairly efficient at at re-entering the zone. And they just didn't convert. So I don't think that, obviously they didn't score. So that's a negative. And I'm not sure that they had a ton of tremendous chances on their power plays. And I guess that would be a negative. But it's not as though they were swimming upstream the whole time in the power play. So from that standpoint, like they did manage the puck well, and they they forced Minnesota to defend hard. And you think about the last three minutes of the game. Minnesota had, what, three icings, I think, during the the six-on-five when they were shooting toward the empty net and missing, just missed barely on a couple of them. But I think the Lightning six attackers and the five Minnesota defenders – were all stuck out there. Well, for Minnesota, stuck out there. But the Lightning kept those six guys out there for basically the entire time until the Felino empty net goal. So, like, both teams did dig in because they had an extremely long shift. The Lightning players did look tired when the empty net goal went in. But they had the zone time. They had the puck in the offensive zone, so there's no reason to change players. And they did have that close call with Kalorn. So I guess I wouldn't say that it was it was a power play and a six-on-five that did nothing, but it didn't convert at the end of the day. And, and that proved to be, you know, one big reason why the Lightning at least didn't get this game to overtime. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. And I mean, six shots. Kalorn actually agreed with you. Plays. That's what Minnesota had. Kalorn actually liked, again, in the postgame, he liked what they did yeah. with the the extra attacker. So, you know, in some ways, Dave, it was not that we are. I mean, it's we're not getting upset about the loss. 
I mean, I, th- I think Minnesota did enough to win. Sometimes you get that in an 82-game schedule. The other team's just a little bit better. There were some things the Lightning did well. Look, Corey Perry. Let's talk about some individual performances. Yeah. It's a goal, okay? So that's well, two in the last three games. Well, before you get to that, Greg, yeah, I just want to say, we're not, we're not going to see Minnesota. Yeah, we're not going to see Minnesota again unless it's the Stanley Cup final. I think both teams would, would take that at this point right now. The Wild are a really good team. I've, I've been really impressed with them. I said that after the, the game at Amelie. I'm impressed with they're no longer just a like D up, D up, D up, goaltending structure, pop in the odd goal here and there and try and win 2-1 or or one nothing. And maybe that's a little unflattering to to frame it that way. But I think that was the perception of the Wild, that they were kind of a hunkered down defensive team. If they got a lead, it was really hard to come back on them. And it's not just Kaprizov, although he is a big part of it, rookie of the year last year. Like, he's a really dynamic player, but they have a well-rounded roster, and I'm talking about their forwards, a mix of skill, speed, and strength. And they can throw different looks at you. Like that Erickson-Eck line is a big, strong, heavy line. Kaprizov clearly is immensely gifted and skilled. I, I thought that was Kevin Fiala's best game that I've ever seen him play live. He's a really slippery, sneaky player. I think he had six shots for Minnesota. He did. He had an assist on the Rask goal. They are a really well-rounded team, and it's not a shock that they are in first place right now in the Central Division. So when we talk about the Lightning didn't win, you know they, they had some defensive mistakes, Let, let's acknowledge that the team on the other side – is a pretty darn good oh, team. Oh, for sure. For and sure. And we've seen that now twice in the span you know, of a week. You're right about that. And you mentioned Fiala. And again, I get a lot of my hockey nuggets from the 32 Thoughts podcast, Friedman and, and Merrick. Mm-hmm. And they were highlighting Fiala and how, Dave, there was some talk up until a couple of weeks ago that maybe he was a guy that was going to be traded because there were some issues going on there. With Minnesota, and I had not, I, I did like not know this. Like locker room issues, you mean? Yeah, I just, I, I think in general, and I, I think uh, Friedman had said, and Merrick made the the snide comment, jokingly, that he's an overconfident player, and how when he came to Nashville, that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way to the point where I, I think it was beyond that. I think he was he was pretty arrogant, and I'm wondering if that had some some issues in the Minnesota locker room. But to your point. I mean, this is a guy that has hit 20 goals three times in his career. And when you talk about a team like Minnesota looking for offense and and relying on guys to fill the net consistently, I think he's one of those guys that would be able to do that. So to your point, he was very good. I don't know what his future is in Minnesota, but if he plays like he did against the Lightning more times than not throughout the rest of the regular season, that's a pretty good player. You mentioned Felino. I mean, I don't know where his career is in terms of upside at his age, but Dave, it certainly seems like he has found another way to kind of reinvent himself a little bit to be a legit power forward in this league. Somebody who can go to the net, yeah. has some pretty good hands, but will also stick up for his teammates. I mean, it's it's captain material with things like that when you see a player who has played as long as he has in the league, has done a lot of gritty work, a lot of dirty work, and is probably a big-time respected voice in that locker room. I guess the question just becomes for a lot of these yeah. guys, too, what's their goal? Well, he's like? getting he's getting he's getting power play time now. So I mean, know. he's getting opportunities to score. He's got eight goals and they've played twenty one games. So well, even with my rudimentary math skills, that means he's on pace for a thirty goal season. I mean it's incredible. And you had mentioned Dave and, and rightfully so I mean so. where would Minnesota be if they get thirty goals from Marcus Felino? 
Well, and you had talked about this. They would be sitting pretty, I think. Like, they would be pretty happy with that. And you had talked about this throughout the broadcast. That line that he's on, that's a heavy line. You know, with Greenway doing his thing. at 6'6". I mean, that's... They can beat you in a couple of different ways. So, again, we can nitpick a little bit at the Lightning, what they did, what, what they didn't do. And, you know, it's nice to talk about their records over the years in Minnesota. I don't know if that's relevant all of the time, Dave. You know, sometimes we throw out stats, and it doesn't mean a heck of a lot in terms of what's happening right now. But, you know, I think there's a little bit of a track record to indicate that, you know, playing in Minnesota or going to St. Louis – there are some trends there that aren't favorable to Tampa Bay. And I think some of that is the teams that they go up against have been pretty good over the years. But mm-hmm. uh, Minnesota's a team to keep an eye on. You know, Nick Bukestad, I think he is what he is. I know he always has good games against the Lightning, particularly when he was with Florida. He's been a guy that I, I think injuries have slowed him down a little bit. But there's always – I always feel like with Bukestad, untapped potential because of maybe the size and the skill set. You know, six six, and you saw the shot that beat Vassy. I think a lot of coaches around yeah. the league at times have looked at that and said, okay, now can you do that a little bit more consistently throughout your career? So who knows where, where he fits in. But I think if they get the goaltending, Dave, and you know, I don't know how we feel collectively about their tandem in net, you know, are they a team that can do damage, assuming they get into the playoffs, and get beyond the first round and have some moments? You know, the, Spurgeon is out. I think when he gets back, that's another guy who's very good on the back end. Mm-hmm. Zuccarello seems like he has found uh, some life here uh, in Minnesota. He was having a really good year and uh, got banged up a bit, so we'll see how that plays out. But I, I do like their team. I, I don't know if they have any superstars. I mean, I think Kaprizov would be that guy, certainly. But do they have enough offense, maybe, in, in goaltending to really contend in the West? I think we'll find out. But they were impressive, Dave. I, I came away impressed yeah. with their game, for sure. And we'll see how it plays out for them moving forward. Let's take a break. I want to get to some maybe the, the Lightning performances last yeah, night as well. Yeah, let's talk about Corey Perry. Good I, I to want see to get, score. Yeah, let's get into Corey Perry a little bit. We have some questions starting to uh, trickle into at Bolts Radio. Franz Jean will be joining us in about 30 minutes. We'll talk about Vassy and some goaltending around the league as well. Mark Bergevin out as GM of the Canadians. That was announced yesterday. We, may, we might be able to touch on that today or tomorrow, but... Uh, We'll break it all down with you. It is Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Kind of a a big Monday, Dave, with uh, some news around the league. Uh, We tease Mark Bergevin. He's out as GM of the Canadians. Jeff Gorton is hired as VP. The Penguins officially have been sold. Yeah, go ahead. Because we've seen... GM changes mid-season before. I think yeah. the Penguins had one a few years ago, didn't they? You might remember. And look, I understand the GM has stuff to do as far as like the trade deadline and, and and making some moves in season, but it's hard to make moves in season. I just think it's interesting when you see a GM change, and I guess I'm wondering like how much of a difference can the GM make once you're into the season? And maybe they're they're making a change of GM to allow the new GM time to get ready for the next offseason. It's as much that. So he has a, a chance to get a feel for the team. I think you're right. That, yeah, you know, you, that manager's work really begins. You asked me that. Contracts and free agents, et cetera. 
Yeah, no, it, I think I think I agree with you on that, Dave. I, I don't know if this is about making moves now. I think this is, hey, get comfortable with your surroundings. Here's the you've got 50 games to kind of evaluate the team. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make a move at the trade deadline, you probably have enough info on that to do it. But this is probably more of, hey, let's get ready for the draft and let's get ready for the offseason. I mean, the other thing about Bergevin, I was never a huge fan of, of Bergevin. I always felt like his moves were questionable at best. And I, I understand they played in the Stanley Cup final, but as I, I've made the point to you before, had it been a normal season, Montreal doesn't make the playoffs. And so I, I, I think we have to keep that in mind. They, they got hot at the right time within the system they were playing. Give them credit for that. Yeah. I and mean, you're not going to be able to take that away. Were they a bona fide Stanley Cup team? No, because they, they wouldn't have made the playoffs in a normal year. I think it was a flawed team to begin with. I think they they hoped that Carey Price, Dave, was going to be enough to overcome any warts they had as a team over the years. And in, in some ways, I, I don't fault them, but I, I think in today's game, you have to surround him with a, a more complete roster. I don't know if any organization goes into a season coming off a cup run that can overcome the difficulties they've had with Shea Weber basically retiring and Carey Price dealing with things off the ice. Those are two major blows. I understand that. Yeah. So I, I and, and perhaps it, it's tough to recover then. Jonathan Druin took some time away from the team. I mean, those are three big losses, Dave, within the confines of the Canadians and what they want to do as an organization. And so in some ways, at least for this year, I can understand them struggling to find wins because you take out one of the better goaltenders in the game and arguably their heart and soul in Shea Weber out of the lineup, you're, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. And I, I don't know if they were a, particularly a, a talented team to begin with. So I actually am surprised Bergman lasted, Dave, that long. And it'll be interesting. I, I kind of agree with you. I think they're going to take the rest of this regular season to see what they have and then from there make some decisions. I have no idea what their cap situation is. I, I don't know what they're going to do in terms of upgrading their roster here and there. I don't even know what their draft picks are like. So uh, time will tell. I know Cole Caulfield had spent some time in the minors as well, so probably a combination of guys underachieving and some injuries that really set them back this year. So we'll see how that plays out. And then, of course, the Penguins were sold officially today the Fenway Sports mm -hmm. Group. Uh, it does look like Mario Lemieux and uh, Ron Burkle are going to stay on as as partial owners to that conglomerate there. So just some big news items that were interesting that happened on a Monday, and uh, we figured we'd get into those as well. Uh, bringing it back to the Lightning, Dave, and if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can, at Bolts Radio. Franjan coming up in about 15 minutes to talk about Tampa Bay and their goaltending and, and really anything else around the league from that standpoint. Um, it continued to see Corey Perry accumulate points, another goal. He's got two and three games, points in four straight. Looks a little bit more comfortable. And, and probably getting that first goal, Dave, was a big deal. And I, I, that was a great shot he had, by the way, in the game against Minnesota. Yes. That was good to see. And, you know, we talk about bottom six scoring, particularly with points and Kucherov being out. I didn't think the, the Colton line, Dave, was as dangerous in the Minnesota game. But again, collectively, when you talk about the bottom six, I actually think for for his role, Dave, I think Pat Maroon's had a heck of a year, don't you think? Yeah. I feel like he is generating some offense this year more so than at any point during his time here in Tampa Bay. And I understand different roles, but whether it's a contract year, Dave, whether it's him coming into camp in better conditioning, 
he has looked really good, and one or two times a game, it feels like he is getting really good scoring chances. I don't know if you feel the same way, but it's been impressive. Well, recently he has been, when he has been on this line with Belmar and Perry. Yes. That's been a very effective line for the Lightning, as has certainly, it goes without saying, the Colton line. The Colton line had, I thought they had a really dynamic first period, actually. I thought they were quieter in the second and the third. The second was affected somewhat by the fact the Lightning had to kill three penalties. And in the third, it was affected somewhat by the fact that the Lightning had two power plays plus the sixth attacker for three yeah. minutes. So in that instance, Radish and Kachuk are not getting out there, and Colton is only getting out there with the second unit, and he was not out on the sixth attacker. So their ice time was less. They were the line out there on the winning goal for Hartman, which is, I'll say it, a rare instance when they have been out on the ice for a goal against. So I agree with you. I think after the first period, they didn't have quite as impactful a game as we have become accustomed to seeing frankly from them in recent games but this is what i think about well let me talk about perry first go ahead and, and then i'll 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 get to my thought perry is not fighting the puck as much and i think when when that goal drought was hitting like game 11 game 12 game 13 like he was fumbling pucks more than he was at the start of the year and we wondered here on power lunch if some of this was related to just lack of confidence that he needed that first goal to go in and he scored against the flyers and then he had like a couple of super dangerous chances after that <laughs> didn't score his line was really effective against seattle he had the primary right. assist on belmar's goal and he scored in the first period and, and look if we think that Corey perry scores the majority of his goals from the hash marks of the net that wouldn't be incorrect. That That is where he scores a lot of his goals. But he can score from distance. I mean, that was a perfect shot from the circle into the top of the net. And it was the shot of somebody who is playing more confident hockey right now. So hopefully it'll continue. Had Kalorn been able to settle that puck down, I mean, it kind of skipped over his stick. So it's not that he didn't settle it down. Had he been able to field it cleanly and shoot it in, because it was basically an open net, Perry would have had the primary assist. That was a pass from Perry. And and that would yeah, have been right. a huge goal that would have tied the game during the sixth attacker situation. So I think all of that is positive. So here is, here's where I'm going with this, Greg. We're going to find out Joseph's status here before the game, presumably. And if he is unable to play, the Lightning are either going to go with seven defensemen or they're going to have to bring up another forward. Whatever forward comes up, how hesitant do you think John Cooper will be to to change up either the Colton line or the Belmar line? Yeah. Is it possible? I mean, if we look at Sorelli's line and Stamkos's line as the top six, is it possible that this player summoned to replace Joseph will go right where Joseph was into a top six position? simply because these other two lines have been so good. I know this is a major hypothetical. Hopefully Joseph will be okay. Dave, typically I'm the one but asking. I was thinking Dave, about typically that. I'm the one. Return, I'm the one asking these questions, not you. <laughs> I know. <laughs> With the hypotheticals, I like it. 
Um, well, I, I'm giving you my answer. I, I don't think those those two lines, the Belmar line and the Colton line, I don't think anything is happening with those two lines. I think another I would be surprised if either of those lines is is shuffled. I, I would I would tend to agree with you on that. I, I like what I've seen or I liked what I have seen so far from those guys. My sense is you're starting to build some chemistry. I think there's something to be said for that, even though I know John Cooper likes to mix and match sometimes when the team isn't playing well for a particular game. But I think there's enough there. Let's put it this way. Because of the urgency to find depth scoring with the loss of the Yanni Gord line in the offseason, I think it, it is more imperative to find chemistry with your bottom six if you want to make a longer playoff run and three-peat this year. So I think it's it's more important to find guys who work well together now, even though maybe in the short run, breaking them up and let's say moving Corey Perry, and I'm throwing out a hypothetical, Dave, moving Corey Perry up in a top six or moving a Ross Colton up in a top six might win you more games or look better in the short run. Dave, I think in the long run, finding some chemistry with those newer players uh, throughout the year is more important than a short-term fix of moving one of those guys off and putting them up in a top six role. So it's almost like taking, not taking one for the team. I want to see the bottom six continue to play together because come playoff time, Dave, I want them ready to go. Yeah. I, I want them feeling good. Well, and, and look, there are a couple of ways the lightning could go. First of all, if Joseph is able to play, then he's in, right? Yes. The other part of this is Chernak is very close to returning. The Lightning may elect to go with seven defensemen in Chernak's first game back. We've seen that before. Agreed. And and not because they're concerned about his injury. It was an upper body injury, blocked a shot. So, I mean, if he's healthy, he's healthy. But it's more about how many minutes do you want to throw at him after he's missed a couple of weeks? Now, knowing Chernak, he could probably handle it. But maybe the Lightning decide to, quote-unquote, protect him in his first game back by having an extra defenseman in the lineup. They could go that route if Chernak is able to play and if Joseph is unable to play. But we have some unanswered questions here. We'll get some Dave, I think by the time we talk tomorrow. I, I, th- I still think the depth – I still think up front is where they have the most depth. And going 12 and 6 from here on out, obviously there are exceptions to that rule, makes the most sense for this team. But I will well, say I'm this. Not suggesting that, yeah, I'm not suggesting they go with 11 and 7 indefinitely. No, no. But no, no, in no. this I know particular situation, I know with Chernak coming back from injury, we might see that. Correct. I'm just thinking long term, too, though. Again, and it, it, it never, we don't live in a perfect world. I mean, there could be injuries that pop up. It is interesting on the back end, even though Bogosian took three penalties yesterday. He has played well, but so is Cal Foot, and Cal Foot is in a unique spot because he's a young guy who needs to play. I mean, he's missed some time here, and you want to make that up as much as possible. Yeah, I do think this is the year where you want to play Cal Foot as much as you can within the confines of the team, and kind of get him caught up for games he has missed previously, because I think he is part of your future. And if he's not part of your future, at least get enough tape on him where other teams can look at him and say, "I would trade for him." assuming the Lightning wanted to make a deal at the deadline to bolster their lineup. So what I'm saying is, Dave, I agree with you. I, I don't think 
11 and 7 is going to be something that John Cooper looks to do a lot moving forward once everybody's healthy. I, I still think 12 and 6 is their best lineup. I think it's an interesting conversation to have. Who is that sixth defenseman? Do they go 11 and 7? Maybe a little bit more than what we've seen because of that depth on the back end. And because if Cal Foote is one of those guys who's fighting for that last D spot, you probably don't want him sitting for an extended period of time. But you also know that Bogosian needs some reps, and he has looked he has looked very good. So I, I, I guess I'm answering my own question, but I do think it's going to be something that as John Cooper looks at his roster, Dave, we could see a scenario where every once in a while, maybe he's throwing out a lineup of 11 and 7, and how he's juggling that Bogosian foot situation will be something to watch because I think with any young player, you do not want them sitting for periods of time because, again, like we've seen over the last couple of years, you're going to need your back end. You're going to have to go eight, maybe nine deep. And I think Kyle Foote's yeah. starting to get to that point, Dave. I don't know how you feel about this, where I think he's starting to play a lot better than what we saw before, and you know, you want to you want to build on that. He's been really steady. There was that game in Philly when he took the minus two at the start of the game on the breakaway for yeah, yeah. Giroux and then Connecty scored, and and Foot was able unable to hold the puck in at the offensive blue line, but that was a tough pass to him too. Correct. Like he was trying to do his best, so it wasn't like it was his fault. But those are really the only two plays that come to mind that where I can remember that he was out on the ice for a goal against. I mean, I guess I'd have to look at his his plus minus over the last several games. I mean, he may have he may have taken one in the New Jersey game, but you know what? I mean, I remember going back and looking, McDonough and Bogosian were out on the on the Mercer goal and on the VZ goal, that was Hedman and Ruda. Yeah. So I don't remember on the on the winning goal scored by Sharon Govich. I can't remember the two defensemen out there. But, like, Foote has been really steady. And when he's had a chance to get his shot off, he's got a really good shot. He does. We've seen him pinch a little bit at times. He's had a good stick in the defensive zone. He's broken up some cross-ice passes. When he gets the puck in the stick in the D zone, it's usually getting out. Like, that's what you want from him. Agreed. Yeah, I, and to I, the extent, like we often say, like he needs to move his feet. Like he is moving his feet. He's he not getting caught flat-footed. All that has been really positive. No, I I, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think look, his speed is what it is. We know we got to get to Franz John, which we will hear. I, I know his speed is what it is, and hopefully that gets better as he continues to be a professional in this league. One thing I've noticed when he has time, he makes a pretty good pass. That first pass. I mean, you can see the skill set there. Do, do we want him to be a little bit more physical? Perhaps, but I, Dave, I got to be honest. I don't know if that's the type of player he is. I think some of that is he just probably wants to play within himself and not run around too much. He's mm. got a big frame. I don't know if he's going to be somebody yeah. that uses his stick more than the body as his career progresses. Maybe he will. I I, I don't know. I'm willing to to kind of see where that that heads. But you can see the offensive ability. The first pass. We know he is a big shot. The foot speed is going to be something that needs to be better and I think he acknowledges that but I think it's worth you know giving him an extended look within the confines of the team here and how things are playing out but that that's probably for another topic it was just an observation I think he's he's playing well and when Chernak does come back whenever that is 
it will be interesting to see what what John Cooper does rotationally with maybe the fifth inspector or particularly the sixth defenseman. All right, we want to talk about goaltending with goaltender coach Fran Jean. When we return, it is Bolts Radio. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linelli. It's Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning, Dave Mishkin. Steve Ersnick is our producer and a very special guest joining us right now. The goaltender coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning has done outstanding work with Lightning goaltenders over the years. That would be Franz Jean. Franz, first off, great to be with you. Thanks for making time for us today on the show. And Mish and I were talking about the Minnesota game uh, yesterday afternoon and uh, even though the Lightning gave up a couple of goals, we felt like Andre Vasilevsky, and it's probably not a surprise, was really, really good in that game. Af- I'm curious, after each game, are, are you immediately looking at film and, and looking at, at the goaltenders for the Lightning and seeing what went right and, and maybe what didn't? Well, yeah, actually, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I am I watch uh, film between each period. Actually, I'll go over some clips. I'll go over uh, some uh, some of the other team tendency and what how we responded to those tendencies. So, uh, uh, so yeah. Yesterday, I uh, right after the game, I watched some some video and uh, Vasi and I had a quick chat uh, not long after. And I I thought the same thing. I thought he had a solid game yesterday. I thought uh, Minnesota had to uh, to have really good finishes to to be able to beat him yesterday. Uh, really good shooting. So, um, uh, and I look at this game overall. Uh, he uh, his execution was on on point. Uh, he didn't make uh, he made very few mistakes in the game and uh, gave us a chance to compete. The goalie can't control what is coming at him. There are some games that are busier than others, and I know that from the team standpoint, you like to have a game that's quieter, like the Seattle game. But as his goalie coach, do you like to see him have? a game in which he has to do some heavy lifting now and then, even if it means that he's dealing with maybe more scoring chances or you just want low scoring chance numbers against throughout the year? Well, for us, you know, like we we train to be able to have answers to any type of situations. Um, you know, so some, some nights, uh, the nights will be easier. Uh, for all sorts of reasons, and and some other nights uh, there will be uh, there'll be the workload will be heavier. Um, we our job is just to be ready for either or situation. And uh, uh, do you do you want to have low scoring games, low, low uh, scoring chances game all the time? Uh, you know they're nice, but uh, you know the, our our job is not to just be good in those games. It's really to be a difference maker, no matter what the situation is, and. Uh, uh, there'll be nights when we'll get 50 shots against and 25 scoring chances, and we got to put the team in a situation to win the game late in the third period. That, that's our job. That's what we do. Franz Jean joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Specifically to Vassi, Franz, how much of his success do you think now at this point in his career is more about what he's doing off the ice compared to maybe how he's preparing on the ice? Understanding it can be a combination of two, but do you feel like as a guy gets older and trains differently, it's maybe what you're doing off the ice that helps you become that elite goaltender we've seen more so on the ice. I, I think with age, uh, you 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 start to understand what uh, what makes you good. You know, when, I think when you're young, you're kind of tinkering tinkering with a lot of things. 
uh, you're 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 not necessarily having a clear philosophy of of uh, of what the, what brings the best out of you. And I think as you get older, you get in your late twenties, you kind of get it, you know, and uh, uh, and and you know exactly what you need to do to be at your best. And and I think uh, Andre Vasilevsky uh, has figured that probably two three seasons ago, uh, kind of it came to. Uh, uh, you know everything lined up for him in 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 that sense, and uh, uh, you know you look at Vasi's routine before games, uh, days before games, the day of a game, and it, it's not a complicated routine, but it's a very precise routine. He knows exactly what he needs to do to be good, you know, and uh, and that's that's uh, that's the strength of a of a of a really good number one goalie. That's that's durable and that, that can play a lot of games. Franz, we had Kevin Woodley on our show last week. He does a lot of work looking into the goaltending position. He had an interesting point that he has made, not just to us, but, but to others as well, that, you know, there is some, there is some value for goaltenders with some drills in practice, but there are other drills that are, that are not really beneficial for goaltenders because it's not representative of what a goalie will see in a game. I'm just wondering, like, how do you prepare your goalies in practice for game situations? Well, everything we do is is, is, a, is game situations. Uh, I don't do any drills uh, that uh, that that doesn't relate to a game situation. To me, it's a it's a waste of time. It's a waste of reps, and it's it's just pounding on the body that that you don't need. Um, so so everything we do, like it's based is based on a game plan. Uh, the game plan is based on having basically an answer every of patterns we uh, you know in a game or throughout the season. And uh, essentially, what we do is we we practice those 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 answers. We we make sure that we're uh, uh, we become really good at executing them. For me, it's goaltending is to identify the patterns and develop an answer, and then uh, we work with the goaltenders in in making sure we're really good with those answers, and um, you know big part of my job also is to identify if new patterns uh, arrives in the game you know so so it's to stay aware of that and to, to be able to identify them Franz another interesting point that Kevin made on I know the podcast you listened to with Jeff Merrick and then the one we had last week was teams allowing their goaltenders uh, virtual reality training and how that's something that that might be implemented sooner rather than later with some teams with some goaltenders have you had a chance to kind of look into that is that something you guys do or plan on doing and what are the benefits of virtual reality when it comes to a goaltender in training well it's uh you know we we've I've, I've, we've um we've met with a company a few years ago uh that um uh, you know, kind of uh, showed us what they were doing with virtual reality. And at that time, the 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 hockey program of that that, that virtual reality system wasn't very good. Um, we saw the football program, the baseball program, which was much more advanced in terms of of what you could do with it. You know, as an athlete, 
um, I think now that I, they're at a point where uh, where it's getting better and better, and actually we, um, you know, we we are talking about it. Uh, how can we incorporate it with our guys, uh, with our, uh, uh, you know, with our uh, minor, with our AHL goaltenders? Uh, that's certainly something that we're looking into. Uh, for me, um, you know, uh, I was uh, we were talking with our um, with our goaltending scout uh, the other day, and uh, he had a really good point where one of his um, uh, NTDP, which is a national development uh, team uh, with the uh, USA hockey program under 18, and one of the goalies used it and felt. It gave him reps without getting the body pounding of practice, you know. So I think it's a it's an add-on uh, to your training. I don't think it can replace the training on the ice. Uh, you know, your your muscle still have to do the work, still have to create the muscle memory uh, to be able to execute swiftly and and precisely. But certainly, um, putting your body. Uh, uh, through a full on-ice workout, so I think it's a, it's definitely a complementary uh, training tool that uh, that can be utilized. Franz Brian Elliott is in a new situation. I'm not sure he's ever gone through a 20-game span in which he only played three times, and he has talked about using practice to help keep him sharp. How has he done that? How have you worked with him? To, to kind of adjust to a different situation where he is not playing as regularly as he has in the past? Well, it's, it's, it's exactly what we've talked earlier. Like, we're, we're putting him, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of game situations, uh, drills, uh, uh, where he's, uh, he's basically has to, to play like it's a game. Uh, we're trying to put in a situation where, where we're keeping counts on things, we're between the players and the goaltenders, you know, uh, uh, when we do those drills, so just so that we, we put an extra uh, an extra level of stress, you know, uh, uh, in our execution. And um, honestly, he's been uh, he's been great. He's been working extremely extremely hard uh, at his game, and uh, I like where his game is. Uh, I, I think he's done a great job of uh, of adjusting to uh, to our system and. Uh, our game plan and um you know as we go along uh you know he's going to get more and more starts uh, as we know our second half is really really busy uh, i i think i think a little bit brian was victim of our schedule we had so many days in between games certain weeks that uh, uh you know we were able to play vasi you know uh you know the two three four consecutive games just because we had so much time in between games so uh, uh, which we won't have in the second half so Brian will be uh, will be called upon way more in the in the second half Franz, last question for me and and we appreciate the time you're taking uh, this afternoon talking about the goaltending you mentioned the busy second half of the schedule and the Olympics are here as we know it right now Vasi we would assume is going to be the starting goaltender for Russia although we'll let that play out but that being said how much of his workload moving forward is predicated on how well the backup is playing and understanding that if Elliot is playing well, maybe there are times during the second half of the season that you can give Vassy a breather here and there? Or is that already determined regardless of how well Brian Elliott is playing behind him? 
No, like you're 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 totally right. Like uh, being the backup of a, of a playoff team is is extremely important. Is an extremely important role because when you play, you have to play well. Because uh, if you don't, now you're 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 uh, forcing the team to overuse the number one. You know, so 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 as a backup, you have to come up with solid performance every time you play. So so that you. You, you you allow the team to be confident in resting your number one goalie, and at the same time, you you provide the, the possibility of your team to grab points every time you play, and that's what puts you in the playoffs. It's uh is the fact that the backup's gonna go in, it's gonna win half his starts, and he's gonna give get even a couple points, you know, on top of that, and and that's basically what kind of gets you in, you know. When the backup is not able to do that, that's when you miss the playoffs by a couple of points, you know. Uh, and so the backup role is extremely, extremely important. So uh, obviously, uh, the better the backup plays, the more the, the more he plays, the more the team feels confidence and, and the coaching staff feels confidence to put him uh, back in uh, on shorter shorter periods of time, you know, in between starts. So so it is uh, extremely important to have. Uh, a backup that can do that job. Franz, you mentioned that kind of coaching the position, playing the position, it's constantly evolving. I'm wondering, how do you stay up to date on all these new trends? Well, you, you watch a lot of film. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hockey buff. I, I watch, uh, you know, last night I was, we, we arrived in St. Louis early. I watched the... Uh, uh, I watched some. Uh, I went on YouTube and I watched some uh, uh, 2002 Salt Lake City Olympic Games. You know, on my iPad. You know, I, I just I look for different things. I look for for patterns that were maybe that are not in the game anymore, but that could come back. I look for what goaltenders used to do back in those days. Uh, you know, I, right now it's the same thing. I when I do when I pre-scout other goalies, I watch a. What are the scoring patterns against them? Uh, uh, what uh, uh, you know? What what are the offensive trends that that are are developing in the league? I, I take mental notes. I write stuff. I basically it's by watching games that you you know and watching different levels of hockey. You know, I watch a lot of AHL hockey, uh, so you kind of figure out a little bit you know what's coming. You know when. Uh, uh, usually, when a trend starts, everybody starts start doing it. So it's pretty quickly that you put you, you can put your your uh, your uh, your arms around it and and kind of uh, break it down. You know, it's interesting, Franz. When you always, at least I do, when you watch a goaltender get beat, a lot of announcers, maybe even coaches, will say, "Oh, look, they they saw a trend there. They're going high glove side." And I'm wondering, is is that is that coaches speak? Is that just where the game has evolved right now, where goaltenders are so good that you got to go high and glove side, that might be the weakest part of a particular goaltender. And to that point, do you recommend, like, when you're looking at goaltenders and evaluating them, that the ones that have kind of a, a two-sport background, particularly maybe they've played baseball growing up, that that allows them to be better with the glove hand than maybe somebody who has played hockey year round. Do you do you buy into that? And is that something that uh, you look at when you're you're looking at goaltenders? I I do. I'm a big believer in multi uh, multi sports athlete. Um, I think uh, as as a as a kid as a teenager the 
the more sports you do, uh, I think uh, not just physically you, you become more equipped, but I think um, uh, I, I think your your hockey uh, your hockey IQ, I think your your sports intelligence, I think increases um, dramatically because you you're able to you just have a better sports intelligence because you've been you've been facing more situations in different sports and different contexts that you you needed to read and react you know so I, I think all those extra reps in other sports makes you just have a better sports intelligence um, you know they're there every goaltender has weaknesses uh, you know there's not one perfect goalie so it's just a question of uh, through pre scout identifying what what are the goalie's weaknesses and uh, and kind of inform players to attack uh, attack that area as much as much as possible. Uh, but yes, in today's game, it's extremely difficult to beat goalies on the ice. Uh, it's 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 not uh, it's not something that uh, that you can bank on. Um, but you certainly guys are sometimes weaker glove side. Sometimes it's blocker side. Sometimes it's blocker side just above the pad. Sometimes so sometimes it's a pattern of play too. You know. Sometimes it's the, a type of, of, of offensive play around the net, the pass, a type of pass, a type of deflection. So you try to um, you, tr you try to create those those situations as much as possible during a game to get the, the best looks uh, on the goalie. Well, Franz, we appreciate it. Uh, I know you took a lot of time here to talk goaltending, and we always love it. We hope to do it soon and continue the great work, and we'll talk to you down the road. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Always a pleasure, and uh, keep keep up the great work. All right, Franz. Thank you. Thank you, Franz. All right, that's the uh, goaltender coach, Franz Jean, joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Dave, I, that was a fun interview. What a great guy. Yeah. Great he guy. is a great interview. When when we reached out to Brian Breesman about an assistant coach, he said, how about Franz? He's like, he's good and underutilized. I'm like, I yes. agree that he's good, and he shouldn't be underutilized. Yes, he's very good. And, um, you know, I, I thought we got a couple of decent nuggets there. I think they are looking at the virtual reality thing as something that, that might help yeah. their goaltenders. They've inquired about that the last couple of years, which was um, really good. I thought it was interesting think? he said every, every drill we do is – representative of a game for a goalie and i wasn't going to ask about like what about the the two on o drills you know or yeah and probably in his mind i understand what kevin woodley was saying like that's just a warm-up for a goalie that's probably where he's thinking that you know yeah it's just allowing the goalie to feel some pucks and that's part of the warm-up but the actual drills that we do are representative of what a goalie sees in a game and yeah to that end he said that's been really important for brian elliott and maybe they're doing even more concentrated drills on game situations i'm extrapolating here because elliott needs that to stay sharp for sure no doubt about it and elliott has gotten better i think each start which has been very positive be curious to see dave if he starts tuesday yeah, that might or make Thursday. Some sense. His former team, St. Louis, yeah, yeah, hasn't yeah, been there sure. in a while. But. Yeah, for sure. We'll see how that plays out. And we can kind of go from there. 
next uh, we'll weekend get... next weekend the lightning have the boston philly back-to-back i'm sure he's gonna get one of those games yeah you would th- I, I mean i would think he'd get philly and you leave vassy with boston but we'll see how that plays out assuming nobody's throwing gloves at brad marchand and um that was pretty fun the other day with uh, the rangers <laughs> which we'll get into <laughs> maybe later in the week but um we hit a lot of stuff today if you want to react to anything you can at bolts radio partner great job as always and we're going to talk to you tomorrow from St. Louis, correct? Yeah, I'll be there be for the morning skate. We'll be an hour earlier here. So when I go on the air, I think we're going to be seeing – what are we going to be seeing? We're going to be seeing the Blues finishing up. Oh, good. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, we'll break it all down then, and uh, we'll do it noon to 1 Eastern time tomorrow on Lightning Power Play. Dave, great job. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks to Franjan as well. Thanks to Steve Ersnick. Thanks to the Lightning for uh, getting that interview for us. We appreciate that. I am Greg Lanelli. We'll be with you again tomorrow noon to 1 on Lightning Power Play.